Oh, Veronica, I had the craziest time trying to watch this movie. What, what happened, John? Well, you know, uh, my internet stopped working, and I went outside of my room, and I saw my roommates, who all really love and respect me because I'm such a great guy. And then I went downstairs, and I saw the beautiful woman who was downstairs. We used to sleep together. Uh, she really respects me because I'm a great guy, um, and also she's still in love with me. Uh, then I went outside, and I saw the guy who works at the bodega. They all love me because I'm their best customer because I'm such a great guy. Mm-hmm. Also, I fucked his daughter. Checks um, and then, uh, then I kind of just, re- uh, you know, pumped my uh, uh, modem a bit. Internet came back on. I watched the movie because I'm actually the best movie watcher and reviewer of all time. Wow. I mean, so far, nothing that you've said does not check out. This is oh. exactly how I perceive you all the time. You are actually my favorite co-host of all time. Thanks. Uh, I, I didn't even tell you about the uh, kitten I saved. Well, you saved a kitten? Uh, We'll get to it in the show. Toot toot. Toot toot. Get it? Like in the movie. Like that's how he's like in the movie. I I get it. I get it. I bet Steven Seagal has the same claws that we hypothesized The Rock and Jason Statham have where they can never lose a fight. (laughs) I had so many Hobbs and Shaw flashbacks during this movie. What is the movie and what are we? Well, first, I'm John Bershad. I'm Veronica Yorowski. And this is Box Office Time Machine. I've tied and tried and... I just failed at saying the sentence, I tried and failed. I've tried and failed to say this, the premise of our podcast the past few episodes. Veronica, why don't you try? All right. Well, on Box Office Time Machine, we watch a number one movie in the box office. It could be the one that is this week, or it could be on the same week X decades ago. Yay. That sounded really good. I don't know if if it was just because you did a great job or because you delivered it in a very professional sounding voice. Oh, thank you so much. I'm the Steven Seagal of hosts. I never fail. <laughs> because he's impeccably professional? I'm sure that's true. <laughs> I mean, uh, later in the show, we'll talk about Steven Seagal's extracurriculars. And according to the past cast of SNL, he is nothing <laughs> if not unprofessional. <laughs> well, we can get to all of that. This week, we are traveling back to 1991 to see, somehow, a number one movie at the box (laughs) office, Steven Seagal's Out for Justice. Now, uh, uh, I'm going to ask a a question. We always ask how familiar you are with some of our older movies. I'm also going to ask how familiar are you with the uh, catalog of Steven Seagal? Uh, so I've seen one other Steven Seagal movie, which is, uh, I believe 2018's Contract to Kill. I watched Mm. it solely based on an amazing AV Club review that gave it an (laughs) F. And to be honest, I was hella high, but I enjoyed it, maybe? Question mark? Who knows? Okay, cool. Well, I have never watched one before. Wow. I- I, as I was sitting there, I was looking through his Wikipedia. I'm like, that can't be possible. 
And I <laughs> thought that like I'd seen like the ones he watched with Ja Rule, but then I looked at like that Wikipedia and no, I have never seen a Steven Seagal movie before. And I don't know what I thought of him beforehand, but my assessment of him after watching this movie hasn't really changed. But my level of respect from the for the movie McGruber has really lowered. Oh no. Because everything they did as a heightened parody, he was already doing completely serious, like a fucking weirdo. <laughs> yeah, no, that's very true. I feel like also before, so I've also never seen his, any of his movies until recently, I guess two years ago at this point. What is time? <laughs> uh, and I grew up loving the action heroes of the 80s, you know, uh, Stallone, Schwarzenegger, Jean-Claude Van Damme, and they all are so much better than him at everything, like so marketably, markedly more watchable and like fun to watch and also just like plain old competent at what they're doing that it's kind of a shocker to realize that Steven Seagal was at any point popular and at any point valued for anything. It's it's such a shock. You know, I feel like uh, now should be a, a, a good time to just put a disclaimer out for the rest of the episode. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we're a young, struggling podcast. We've tried to, we're trying to build an audience. So in recent weeks, when talking about the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or the Godzilla movies, two hugely popular franchises, we've tried to be uh, as welcoming as possible to those, the fans of those movies who might come listen to us for the first time. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to say right off the bat, if you're a Steven Seagal diehard, probably turn it off. <laughs> just from watching this movie, he seems like a terrible person. <laughs> yeah, gosh. He truly is a terrible person, though. So I guess, you know, movies are just a mirror into society. <laughs> I, I really, akin to, and this is, you know, a hacky comparison, but akin to something like, the room like a neil breen movie i really feel i don't know the guy personally and you are going to share a lot of facts about him later in the show (laughs) but i really feel like i know a lot about him just from watching this movie yes i mean and that's not fair that's not fair i will admit it but he does truly because of, as we mentioned, his characters never get hurt, never get injured, never are, are so universally beloved by everyone around them and respected by everyone else. It's just it truly feels like he wears his insecurities on his sleeve and he kind of like also wears every other sort of his personality just like is shining quote unquote through in these movies and it's not a flattering picture <laughs> no no it's it's the kind of movie where you could tell that he ran off camera and went oh my god guys uh uh we don't do enough to imply that i fucked that woman over there can we add a line maybe something in adr something someone yells that implies that both we had sex and she liked it in the past i feel like that's important you can feel all i'll say is out of 40 minutes in or a half an hour into this movie when he suddenly adopts a puppy i screamed (laughs) it is so that is actually another 
thing of his is that he's actually a big uh animal rights guy he actually got a PETA award in i think 99 or something for being a good ambassador for animals so uh, apparently many of his movies show him saving uh an animal of some kind i'm very glad we're 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 you know (laughs) leavening some of this (laughs) some of this trash i also feel like i have a vague memory of him making a movie that was all about uh, uh, protecting uh, indigenous lands in uh, Alaska. Maybe I'm wrong, but let's say that I'm right, just so this <laughs> isn't all just us shitting on Steven Seagal. But, okay, what Steven Seagal movie did we watch? We watched Out for Justice. Um, according to Wikipedia, it was supposed to be called, uh, oh, yeah. line <laughs> from the movie, The Price of Our Blood, which is stupid. Um, but then the studios were like, no, it has to be a three-word title because Seagal's <laughs> other movies up to that point were all three-word titles. That's also stupid. Yeah, and then right. they came up with Out for Justice, which sounds stupid. I love that they were like, the Seagal audience has a Pavlovian reaction to <laughs> three-word titles, and we cannot stray from the successful formula. Da-da-da! It has to be da-da-da! Uh, this is a movie, so the movie started, uh, we'll get to it in a bit, but the movie starts with gray titles over shots of Brooklyn. Like, the font is in gray. And I think what they were going for was, like, somehow to evoke moral shades of gray. But what they succeeded in doing was making fonts that were very hard to read. <laughs> And the movie never got better from there. <laughs> you also are neglecting to mention that it starts with an Arthur Miller quote, <laughs> which is was so surprising. You say you screamed when they threw a puppy in a plastic bag onto the street. <laughs> I screamed when I saw Arthur Miller's name. <laughs> I feel like that was important, though. That quote really, you know, that was an evocative quote that got me in the right headspace to appreciate do we do you have you don't have the quote on hand do you um dang i wish i did man this is it's a quote about growing up in brooklyn and how you know you have a real kinship uh to the people in your neighborhood and everyone else is a stranger and that really helped inform this movie about a crack addict mafioso who murders people for no reason and the awesome karate cop who stops him uh, are, are you looking it up? Yes, I am looking it up. Hold on. Why are you not starting? Oof. Okay. No. Oh, while the stranger's eyes. Oh, uh, no. While the stranger's eyes, one street was no different from another. Oh, while to the stranger's eyes, one street was no different from another. We all knew where our neighborhood somehow ended. Beyond that, a person was a stranger. Yeah, and just like in the movie, right? Yes, exactly. Totally (laughs) like how in the movie, the stranger does stuff. Yeah, also, they never leave the neighborhood. Like, there's no no point where any of them are considered strangers to each other. They all seem to know each other. (laughs) You would think that that quote would be setting up a movie about like you know real in-group out-group dynamics about like but or like uh, it's not about the stranger at all this is just a movie where people keep saying the neighborhood 
in the worst Brooklyn accents I've ever heard in the my neighborhood. Life. Gabagool. <laughs> oh, Gino's coming. Hey, you know how it is, Vic. I gotta go after him. You'll know how it is in the neighborhood. In the neighborhood. Also, the- I believe that's that's from uh, the Crucible, right? Yes, of course. Yes, yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you want to give a try, giving a quick uh, uh, plot summary? <laughs> All right, I will attempt this. I will say that I watched this movie last night, Stone Cold Sober, and I recall very little of it. Out of all the movies we've done, why? Well, because I want, for this purpose, I wanted to remember it so that we could talk about it and not be like, I think this happened, but I actually... All you need to remember is which... In each scene, which member of the Maldano family is he interrogating violently? Okay, so let, let's try. Let's try to give it a go. So we have his, Richie, I believe, right? Richie is a bad guy. He played played by William Forsythe. He's amazing. He's the best part of the movie. Apparently, he also his role got trimmed because Steven Seagal felt insecure. <laughs> About him, about him stealing his limelight. But anyway, uh, the Wikipedia, the Wikipedia for this movie. I read it after the fact. That that fact is in the Wikipedia, yes. and I love it because it really seems like the Wikipedia article for this movie was written by someone who really did not like Steven Seagal. I know. Also, I think it might have been written by the director. <laughs> uh, and so, oh, so Richie. Richie, the guy. How do we know he's bad, Veronica? Well, we know he's bad because in broad daylight in Diker Heights, uh, in a normal Diker Heights street, I think they keep saying 18th Avenue. I'm not sure. Anyway, he walks up to this rando guy we don't know and kills him in front of his family in a crowded street. And no one really reacts except for his wife, which was kind of odd. But yeah, so he kills this guy and he throws some Polaroids on his chest. You you mentioned the wife. That actress whose name, every character is only in one scene, which makes it so annoying. I know. Uh, uh, That that character would be uh, uh, Lori Lupo, I guess, the wife of Bobby Lupo. Uh, And that is, the actress's name is Shireen Mitchell. And I want to shout her out. Because like a lot of actors in this movie, she is really trying. Yeah. Her wails of anguish over the bloodied corpse of Bobby. She's going for something. Yeah, but if you like look at the guy in the produce section of the grocery store <laughs> that she walks in, he's merely like curiously peeping behind her as she is yelling out in anguish, which was very amusing to me. Well, to be clear, Bobby Lupo was no Gino. So the entire neighborhood didn't care immensely about it. No, they only. I bet he only peeped behind her back to see if Gino is around, <laughs> so that yeah. he could compliment him some more. <laughs> Every character in the na- in the Brooklyn neighborhood of this movie is constantly wondering, "Where's Gino? Where's Gino? He's so." fun to be around which (laughs) is a thing we got zero evidence for by the way now speaking of gino i mean you're setting up richie who sounds like a bad guy only a truly good guy could take on such a bad guy so how do we know that this gino character is so good veronica how's he introduced oh yeah so we see a caricature of an african-american pimp (laughs) now veronica is that the only black character in the movie 
Uh, I, I think so. Is, is uh, there the more? only one with much screen time, I believe. I think there might be a black detective in the background at one point. Mm. But uh, apologies to any uh, 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 black actors later in the film. But the real memorable one was, as you described, this cursing huggy bear character <laughs> who is introduced beating the shit out of a pregnant prostitute. Yes. And so uh, Steven Seagal, I believe, just jumps out of a car and he so he tries to arrest him when that dude resists arrest. He just slams him into a car. Yeah, it's so Well, first up, he uh, so he's a uh, Gino's a cop. Probably some might say the best cop. Um, and he and the other detectives are doing some kind of, I guess, sting for, on this pimp. Um, but the other cops want to hold steady. But Gino, when he sees violence against women, he just has to get in there. Unless, of course, uh, he's perpetrating it later in the movie. Then it's fine. Also, let's but, put a pin on that for the real Steven Seagal fun facts coming up. But <laughs> can't wait. But it, it, this whole scene is just like we... We want our audience to cheer very loudly when our hero cop beats the fucking shit out of a black guy. So what can we make that black guy do for 30 seconds that has nothing to do with the plot? What horrible violence can he perpetrate just so we can get an applause when our hero bursts in to beat the shit out of him? And um, I'll say that we, uh, uh, I watched this movie um, on the day of a um, uh, uh, violent killing of a black man by a police officer um you can wow when did we record this which one was it yeah was it Um, a monday (laughs) yeah it's hard hard to say um uh uh i'm not gonna trivialize anyone's name by talking about it here but um yeah unless that's more offensive moving on (laughs) and the scene itself really bringing things down but the scene itself feels so gross yeah. And the movie just continues from there. Yeah, so he, I mean, needlessly beats up this man. Like, he jams him through a windshield. He then, like, jams him against the, like, the wall, I think. I mean, yeah, he. it's just so that we can show that Steven Seagal is stronger than anyone else. And he's a ba- he get- bigger badass than anyone else. He gets his hero shot. I, I really bring it up because it's all in service of this hero shot where we get Steven Seagal's name. This, this, this scene has nothing to do with the rest of the movie. No. And it's all so we can get his hero shot with composition-wise, lovely shot. It's him, freeze frame, uh, shown through the hole in a windshield over top the dead, question mark, body of the man he just beat. And then it goes, Steven Seagal. And you know that in the audience, you're supposed to go, Fuck yeah, dude! Beat the shit out of that guy! Commit violence that I can live through! Yeah, I mean, I'm sure some people did that at the time, but uh, it's so depressing. Number one at the box office. (laughs) That's true. So maybe many did. And so anyway, (laughs) after this one minute that we've gone through so far, (laughs) uh, we are introduced to one in a string of very recognizable names who... Uh, I would say are, you know, stooping pretty low to be in this movie, though I suppose many of them were just starting out, but not Jerry Orbach, who plays a pretty 
major role in the Steven Seagal show as much as he could in the Steven Seagal movie. Does he? Because like everyone else, I would imagine all of his scenes might have been filmed on the same day. Oh, Because every character is just in there for like two minutes. Right. And in this... No, I think it's just like considering that, like you mentioned, everyone, every other character for the most part is in one scene and one scene only. It was nice to see him several times, even though I think we see him once when they are looking through uh, the crime scene. uh, And -hmm. then we don't really see him again for at least 40 minutes. We see him once at night. Uh, Oh, also, a lot of his scenes uh, apparently got uh, cut. Because the movie was running long, so there is a very lengthy montage in the middle of the movie, yeah. which is clearly just scenes with the dialogue taken out. Which, um, which to be honest, I appreciate it. I did not need totally this movie fine. to be long. Totally fine. Um, I, I I'll, I'll spoil how I felt about this movie a little bit already. Um, uh, oh, we didn't do our grade. We can do it after. Sure. Um, for the first half hour, despite how gross that opening scene was, for the first like half hour 40 minutes i was laughing so hard i was like this is a bad movie classic and it didn't really change it's just like the ugliness of the movie wore me down right but this first section every single scene is just about delivering information about how awesome gino is and how much (laughs) everyone loves him so we see that opening scene he is strong then like hobbs and shaw we got to see him with his kid to show that he is a good dad He's not going to make his son do homework. He's going to play catch. His kid loves him. Then his hot wife calls. She looks like Lady Gaga from Time Traveler. Well, they're uh, getting a divorce, right? Even though... But she's, she def still loves yeah, him. Yeah, exactly. Even though she still thinks that he's amazing. So, like, why are they even <laughs> getting a divorce? Because he works too hard, Veronica. His life's too dangerous. If I can't have Steven Seagal for myself, no one can have. (laughs) Or, I don't know, something else. (laughs) Yeah, they have this call, and then they hold on her hanging up the phone to show she definitely still loves him. And then we have this Jerry Orbach scene where not only does, uh, uh, like, um, we get information where he's like, where Jerry Orbach's like, the police will handle this. Uh, This being the murder of this guy bobby who was a uh, who was also a police officer but like we get the exact same dialogue twice where he's like he's like you know me i gotta handle this myself jerry orbach (laughs) and then like come on the police can really handle this you know me i gotta do this myself and it's just so fucking dumb (laughs) and i was really having a great time this first 40 minutes i loved just watch this part yeah i I I guess, like, the thing that really surprised me watching this movie is that, unlike Contract to Kill, this movie is very competently made. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. So I was like, oh, this is, like, a competent action movie, albeit with a very unengaging lead, but at least it's a competently made action movie, whereas, like, Contract to Kill was garbage. <laughs> <laughs> Visually... Visually, this looks like I love early 90s uh, New York City. And visually, this looks fun. Although, yeah. uh, warning, the, the maybe every version, but the version streaming on Amazon is looks like someone just turned the brightness down five notches. So I had to turn it way up of my TV. Oh. So it looked like I was watching it through like a fog haze. <laughs> uh, 
But like everything looks great. And you know, Seagal can kick some people and stunt there are a lot of stunt people who are willing to get kicked, which is my one of my favorite things of this movie that uh Richie just keeps gaining new gang members. Everywhere he goes, people will just join his gang just so Seagal has someone to beat up in the next scene. I also, I guess we can talk about Richie's motivation. Well, he has a motivation that we then find out. Like, why is he even doing this? But for the majority of the movie, it's he's like that because he's smoking crack. Yeah, (laughs) the movie has a real anti-drug message, and I find that beautiful. I think that's really powerful. Crack was a real epidemic at the time in America, and it was good that this movie took a hard stance on that crack. Crack, <laughs> crack will make you a serial killer. Yeah, in the words of Whitney Houston, crack is whack. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, I mean, basically, I, I thought we needed to do a plot synopsis, but we could, basically the movie kind of uh, rest, falls into a, a rotation thing of, Richie goes and does something terrible. Then um, uh, Gino goes somewhere else and meets people who loves him, who either talk about how awesome he is or people who threaten him. And then he beats the shit out of all of them. And that just repeats throughout. So we can like go through the various cycles of it. So, oh, and also every in between every one of these, there's a scene with a puppy. Yeah, there's a scene with a puppy because, as mentioned, for some reason, a man who's driving a car in front of Steven Seagal just tosses out a a German Shepherd puppy in a plastic bag. Uh, And Steven Seagal, being the animal lover that PETA knows him to be, picks him Mm -hmm. up and adopts him as his own. He names him Coraggio, which is Italian for courage. Oh, yeah, there's, like, a scene where a boy who's selling bottles on the side of the street (laughs) also stops him to compliment him (laughs) about how great he is, and that's when they reveal the name of the puppy. Wait, you know what? Fuck the plot synopsis. Let's just see how many people we can think of that the movie introduces and and has them explain how much they love Gina. So his ex-wife, his son... Um, the full for- detective force, like the- another random cop comes over and goes, go get him, Gino. Also the mobsters who technically he's supposed to be against, like all these like capos that he meets in various Italian restaurants are also like very respectful of him. <laughs> he is. So <laughs> this also goes, this beginning scene where he beats the shit out of this black pimp. Then later we find out that he is while I don't think the movie would describe it as such, ultra corrupt. Yeah. (laughs) Completely friends and working with the mafia. The whole, like, uh, dilemma of the movie is supposed to be that, uh, so Richie is the brother of of a low-level mafia guy, so he, people are connecting him with this mob family, so they're trying to kill Richie while he's going on his murder spree, but Gino wants to kill him first. That is supposed to be the dilemma of the movie. something that is understood, I believe, by the police. The police is like, yeah, you're going to find him. You're going to kill him. That's okay. He walks in. When he has his first scene with the Don, he walks in. He kisses them multiple times. He's like, and it's all subtitled Italian. I don't know how good the pronunciation was. I don't speak it. Probably better than my Couragio. Um, but uh, but he comes in and he's like he's like God bless you Don thank you so much for everything you do and I'm sitting there like 
I don't feel like police should be saying that in private meetings with the head of an organized crime family. No. But it's very much like they're the good classy criminals. Of course. Unlike the unlike the crack smokers like Richie or the pimps like the black guy. You know, there's certain levels of what kind of criminals are cool and what aren't. And, you know, they're just differences between them exactly oh there's also a scene where he goes to uh see the parents of richie uh the his dad is played <laughs> uncle june yeah exactly his dad is played by uncle june which is the delight and the mom is crying and also is like i know you are so good and smart and please don't <laughs> kill my son <laughs> Then he goes to see, uh, so this is the, the serial killer's parents, and they're like, you're so great, Richie. We yeah, love you're you, so Rich. great. Uh, no, sorry, you're so great, Gino. We love you, Gino. Our son sucks. We hate him, but we love you. But come on, don't kill him. Yeah. Then he goes to see, uh, uh, no one in this family except the parents really seems to care that their brother is on a fucking murder spree. Like, he's shooting random people who, like, speak twice to him at a traffic intersection. Yeah, he pulls out a woman from her seat, the driver's seat of her car, and shoots her in the head in a busy intersection. At this point, I was like, you know, I think this guy's the bad guy. Yes, you you were convinced. Oh, <laughs> uh, but, like, so then he has a brother who's a, a, a cokehead a nightclub owner. Um, we get to watch him in the... Su- we never see him do coke, but it's a, it's a subtle scene where we watch him wipe his nose for 30 seconds straight. Um, Can we talk about his... that fight scene, though, when he goes to the pool? <laughs> uh, yeah, okay, we'll, we'll get to the sister in a second. Yes, so he goes to see the bar where, uh, <laughs> where the brother works to try to get information on Richie. And what happens there, Veronica? Well... He basically single-handedly proceeds to pummel every man, woman, and child in his vicinity, but it becomes increasingly gruesome. He, like, breaks limbs. I think he breaks, uh, like, uh, what's it called? Like, uh, a ball on, like, someone's head? I- he puts a, a billiard ball in a dish rag and swings it, knocking someone's nose and face. Yeah, I, it's super violent. It's very... I don't know. It's very nihilistic, I gotta say. It's just something about the violence in this movie has no charm, no creativity about it. It's just violent. It's violent, violent, much like the protagonist of the movie. It's it's, uh, uh, apparently almost got an NC-17. And I I love uh, movie violence as a as a deep fan of slasher movies made from around this same time. Um, uh, real cheese, but like I'm always like there's a difference between um, oh my god I am getting work slack messages hush up. Um, <laughs> there is difference between like the violence in you know like a, in some Friday the Thirteenth movies where it's like silly and then like a movie that I personally don't really like. Something like Friday Thirteenth Part Five, where it seems that the movie deeply dislikes the characters and wants to watch them suffer, and there's just like <laughs> a cynical ugliness at the core of this movie. And I think it's not because that bar fight is so violent, but rather that before it happens, we just watch Gino be mean to these people for like five minutes straight. 
Yeah, there's nothing about this fight that makes you root for him. <laughs> and there's nothing <laughs> about this fight that is, to be honest, quite engaging. I, I mean, as you mentioned, uh, or as, like much like yourself, I enjoy a fun fight. I love the House of Blue Leaves and Kill Bill is probably one of my favorite scenes <laughs> of all time. I mean, you can definitely do violence and gore in very entertaining ways. It's just like, this movie is profoundly bleak. <laughs> <laughs> it really, it's so you, so I mean obviously he goes in and it's this is like a big centerpiece fight. We know that he's going to beat up everyone at this bar. That is the appeal. But when he goes there, they're not like say the uh, uh Kill Bill Volume 1, you know, crazy 88 scene where she goes in and they all you know jump up to attack her. It is just him walking around for five minutes, like, mocking the physical appearance of everyone there. Yeah. And it just, but, like, the whole thing is that, like, they can't attack him because he's a cop, they keep saying. Which makes the scene just so unpleasant. Because also, he's going, like, the first thing he says, he goes up to one guy and he's like, he's like, oh, is this your girlfriend? Ooh, boy. Like, I forget what he says, but, like, he implies that she's ugly. And then we see the actress's face, and uh. she's been made up to look ugly. And it's just, like, cool, I guess. You get him, Gino. You you critique the physical appearance of this woman we've never seen before and we'll never see again. I mean, this movie is all tell, don't show when it comes to Gino being a good character worthy of rooting for because there's nothing about anything that he does that makes him the hero of this movie <laughs> truly oh, he's very cute to coraggio but That's true. I, he saves the dog literally the thing that you're supposed to do in the script for <laughs> or in that script manual save the cat look i feel like a real i feel like i'm coming across like a real sjw buzzkill Really critiquing the, the, really pointing out the victims of Gino's violence, yada, yada, yada. But it is, the ugliness really comes across much more, it, he seems so, he is so unspeakably unlikable. Yeah. And that is both the character, and you get the impression, the man behind the character, when he runs up to the brutal murder scene of his friend, and he is a police detective who for some reason is wearing a sleeveless karate gi. Like, oh my god, we what? Did, <laughs> we did we forgot to mention the beret. The standard Oh my god, you're right. It's a karate gi and a beret. We forgot to mention the standard issue New York Police Department beret that is issued to every officer in the force. He, he has the logical policeman's uh, 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 outfit choices of, say, a member of the STARS organization in the early Resident Evil games. <laughs> that one's for my nerds. <laughs> I also love that uh, throughout the movie, so as you mentioned, he starts off with this uh, weird deep V vest. And then... <laughs> I, I thought, I think it's a karate kick. Oh, I... But just... Listen, I... With, with, like, slacks over it. Or maybe it's an, an Aikido one because that's his thing. Um, oh, I all the martial arts fans, I <laughs> if I named the wrong type of outfit, please sneak up to me in night and I don't know, leave a leave a dagger through a note showing you are here and that I am wrong. 
Wow. What if that actually happens? <laughs> I would hate it. Don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> but I love that. So he starts off with a deep V and then he just layers stuff on top of it as the movie goes on. He never takes it off. Like we really only see him with the V, maybe with a jacket on top or something. But the V is always there. The V is always in there. Oh, I forgot one of the things he does in the bar scene. He shoots a gun up in the air and the criminals point out, rightfully so, you could have shot someone upstairs. <laughs> and he goes, eh, this is our hero. <laughs> like they make a really good point. Uh, you shouldn't just shoot a gun through a wall for no reason. Yeah, it's also, I gotta say, they visit the brother twice. I think he visits him once, and then the mobsters, the dons, uh, visit him again. And it's clear that the guy doesn't know anything. Why, why is he being abused like this? I truly don't get it. Well, to, to be fair to both Gino and the members of whatever crime family that's supposed to be, let's say Don, whatever, who gives a shit. <laughs> um, to be fair to them... Richie does eventually go to the bar. So they are on the right track by going there. Richie goes to the bar to shoot his own brother for no reason. Richie, bad guy. Yeah. Lots of crack. Bad guy. <laughs> but, so that's Vinny Maldano. We've already met the parents. We met the brother. We also go see the sister. Yay. Uh, I Patty Maldano, played by a 27-year-old Gina Gershon. Although I feel like the dialogue is written for a much older woman <laughs> because her first line is, how is it going, Patty? And she responds, eh, I can still get it wet. Oh, God, that line was so disgusting. It was a line that was, I mean, that's sort of indicative of the entire movie. But anytime there's a line that tries to sound clever, it always comes off as odd and skeezy and disgusting and that is definitely the prime example of that yeah and it's it's just it's heavily implied to you know gino knows everyone from growing up in the neighborhood he knew the mobsters he knew the cops he's just everyone loves him so it's implied that he grew up with patty and also there's a running joke where they make fun of how how bad her blowjobs are <laughs> and so it's implied that he grew up with her and had sex with her and if you're wondering uh, is Steven Seagal 11 years older than Gina Gershon? Yes, he absolutely is. <laughs> oh, of course. But <laughs> Like, I clearly that character was written for, like, an older woman. And Seagal's like, no, get me a young piece of ass. Should we change the dialogue? Absolutely not. Yeah, I, I also, I wasn't sure, to be honest, what it meant that I still can get a wet. Does she speak about her own vagina? Or, like, other people, like, that she could get wet? I don't know. It doesn't matter. I think you might be bringing Gina Gershon's other film roles into your interpretation <laughs> of this one on that case. Perhaps. Perhaps. <laughs> I, yes. I guess I only really know her from face off and showgirls so we also know. we also see a very young juliana margulies i know uh, playing the character of random sex worker that richie has sex with and then threatens violently who has a sister who does not know how to read english what what is yeah, this she's introduced, introduced being taught english what is the story behind that like she speaks perfectly 
fine English. Why does her sister not know how to read? I think it's just shorthand, you know, because everything in this movie is shorthand to to make us feel exactly how we need to feel about those characters with what, you know, I say shorthand, maybe you'd say efficient storytelling. I will um, not say that. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's very much because she's a hostage at the end of the movie. It's very much like she is teaching child. She is good person. Must protect. Must protect. Well, that was my question. Was it that originally in the script, this person was supposed to be six years old, but then the producers <laughs> realized that, oh, she would have to be on a set with Steven Seagal. That's not allowed. Only consenting adults could do that. And then they uh, they cast an older actress uh, in that role. And much like Gina Gershon did not change the dialogue. Well, was that sister also like the child cowering at the end yes. when he sneaks in? Okay, I thought those were two different characters because no. you're right. One, no, because yes, one sister see like in in some scenes seemed to be like I don't know, maybe like sixteen or seventeen, but in one scene it was like a child. Yeah, I like a something I something know. is happening there. There might be a story that is more fit to explore and out for justice too. <laughs> Still out. <laughs> we gotta learn more about this neighborhood. It's so well. That's, uh, you know what? I will say this: the, for a cheesy action movie, the plot of like a criminal gone crazy and like everyone's trying to catch him. I think that's a great fun crime plot for like a movie where you keep meeting more characters from around around the neighborhood and everyone's like a big cartoonish character. Everyone's a big personality. Like I can see that movie being super fun. Like my favorite movies are, you know, uh, my favorite New York movies are something like um, Taking a Pelham One, Two, Three, where it's just about all these little pockets of, you know, yeah. various New York stereotypes. As a devout lover of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2 pizza opening credits, <laughs> I love some good New York stereotypes. Of course. But... But this movie is just not that. You know who? I, you know who I think should have been the main character in that storyline. A movie I would have liked. Make the protagonist one of the young uh, criminals who Richie forces to be in his gang. Yeah, that could be fun. Could he? Could it They're be one of the? With a, could it be one of sorry. the guys who he yells about having balls? <laughs> Wait, what? There's a scene uh, right before they rip off the French Connection. Uh, there's oh a right, scene... running, driving under the bridge. Yeah, yeah. So there's a scene where uh, Richie, uh, right, the crackhead, yeah. pulls up to these <laughs> some guys who I think uh, I at first thought were random people he never met, and he just yells at them about, "Do do you have any balls? Do you have balls?" And these guys are like, "We have balls." And then he tosses some money uh, to them, and, and then they, they go in with in, with him into his car. They just forfeit their lives. Yeah. Because already this man has murdered a detective in broad daylight and killed a random woman. Um, it's insane that anyone would follow him. The mafia is after him. The police are after him. Why would anyone go with him? Other Like, the first few guys, it makes sense. Like, they're trapped in a car with him. But after that, like, there's a scene where they go into a butcher's, uh, uh, like oh, a, yeah. a butcher's deli. This is so insane. They go into a butcher's deli. They're trying to get protection money from the butchers. Uh, they force in the butchers to pay, pay them money. Then Gino drives up. And so Richie says to two of his goons, the guys he just hired, 
kill this detective for me. Hang him on a hook. <laughs> Hang him on a hook. And then Gino and his main henchmen run away. Gino comes in, beats up the new goons. And then the two butchers try to kill Gino. Yeah. Why? Why would they help the guys who just robbed them? That was probably the most reasonable line that Gino says. It was like, why are you doing this? <laughs> I, I, yeah, it was in total agreement. It seemed like the butchers don't really, I guess everyone knows each other in the neighborhood, but it doesn't seem like they have any vested interest in Richie at all. Why are you doing this? Do you think Gino is actually in a coma? <laughs> that this is... The fantasy of a deeply insecure man. And that <laughs> moment right there was the one time where he almost saw through the unreality of his situation and almost woke up where he said, wait a minute, why are you fighting me? Wow. And then boom, back into it. Wow, that would be great. Uh, a sane elsewhere situation. <laughs> Somewhere there's Steven Seagal with a snow globe. <laughs> <laughs> of Diker Heights. <laughs> Dream is. I, I'm sure this movie's in the Tommy Westfall universe. I, I We can look it up later. I, it must be. Has to Why be. not? I <laughs> mean, we're all in it, so we've saw the movie. <laughs> uh, so uh, uh, let's skip to the end where it all comes to a head at uh, Juliana Margulies apartment inside an apartment can we talk briefly about the setup of that house or apartment uh yeah it is it's well it's basically um i guess they went to the the, the broker <laughs> and they're like can you get us an apartment that is just doorways and windows but just <laughs> everywhere you look another doorway and window just as many places to shoot through as humanly possible but it also seems like the house has uh brick walls and then you enter that exposed brick that's brooklyn gold baby but then you enter through the exposed brick and then there are corridors surrounding an inside house made out of wood and only inside that house does anything happen. Why are there why is there bricks surrounding the house which is made out of wood? The only thing I could compare it to is the cabin in uh Evil Dead 2 in the scenes where Ash is being chased through and not only do you have hallways that are made from all all different kinds of material and don't make any real geographic sense but also you can in one shot see above and see where the set ends and sees the rafters of where they shot it. That is as logical as the house that this woman lives in. It truly felt like it was set up by H.H. Holmes or some other serial <laughs> killer for the purpose of like poisoning lone women who would rent from him. Like... It's, yeah, it's a house of horrors. I don't know how they decided to create this house and what was the inspiration for it, but it's confounding. The thing I love, Veronica, is that you have skipped to the end of the movie, this fight scene, completely skipping over the, I guess, mystery revelation oh, that I'm happens sorry. before it. Do you want to go through that? It makes no sense and is completely stupid. It is. I I guess there's a mystery to this movie. Why why there's a mystery makes no sense, but the mystery is 
why did Richie kill Bobby? It seems in the early scenes that that is an important question because Richie repeatedly says, I'm settling scores. Right. I'm settling my scores, although mostly he's shooting random people. But he says, I'm settling my scores. That's why he shot Bobby. That's why he threw the the uh, Polaroid down. And then when Jerry Orbach's at the crime scene, he's like, someone said something got put on his body, but we couldn't find it. So it's very much like, okay, there's a mystery. <laughs> then there's really no detectiving from Gino. He just goes to locations and yells at people and then punches them. But he does discover that Bobby was a dirty cop and also was having sex with a woman who, because this is 1991 and everyone has absurd, fake Brooklyn big hair, all the actresses look the same. <laughs> so I thought that was just pictures of he and his wife. But then when he goes to see the wife, uh, uh, he, she says he was cheating on her. So I guess I was wrong. Right. And also the woman looks so much like Juliana Margulies. Uh, yeah, it was, it was confusing. Which also, like, oh, he was fucking Richie's girlfriend, which he, I guess, was, but not that one? Yeah, so I, I did not understand why he was this angry, because it seems like he already has a girlfriend who is Juliana Margulies. So, at most, he lost a single girlfriend, which he clearly doesn't care about fidelity or monogamy, so why is it important enough to kill a man in broad daylight over it? Also, another thing I would mention very uh, quick is that the Polaroids are staged so strangely. The, <laughs> the Polaroids... Well, have you ever made amateur porn with a Kodak camera? It's hard. Well, so... It's. I feel like I would not be smiling into the camera as this man sticks his dick up my butt, which is kind of what's happening. You know, I I feel like you are. You know, you are only uh, 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 relating to this movie through your personal lens. There, of course, of course, uh, of course. Sometimes you want to like take some pictures that look like you were having fun, so you could show your grandkids. <laughs> or, or, you know, bring to your detective's office for some reason as the evidence that you were incredible. Hey, dirty police officers, don't hide giant bags of cocaine in your desk. That's very, at work. That's very foolish. Was it work? It seemed like it was a garage. No, that was, some, it, that was very confusing because I don't, oh, because he gets to the police station after hauling Gina Gershon there. And then he's like, maybe I should check out, you know, the effects of the guy who was murdered. I never thought to do that before this point. Um, Oof. But yeah, so he, <laughs> we get these pictures. The, the mystery revelation in this movie is very, feels very similar to the revelation in Get Carter that we did two weeks ago. Only that mystery is revealed over the course of 40 minutes of detective work. <laughs> whereas this one is just laid out in five minutes for no reason. At the end of the movie, Gino just goes to the wife of the dead man, the wife of Bobby's house, the woman who was crying at the beginning, and is mean to her, which he's mean to everyone, so it doesn't feel that weird. But <laughs> we later find out he's mean to her because it's her fault, I guess? Yeah, it's not clear. I guess he's upset with her for hiding evidence. Which perhaps is true, but yeah, it truly seems like he's mad at her for reasons that are unexplained. Well, I, I'm going to try. I think, I think this is the idea of what happened in the movie. Bobby, 
was a detective. However, he was jealous of the life of the mobsters. I think this is supposed to somehow be a thematic link to Gino, who was friends with mobsters but became a cop. Eh, it's stupid. Um, so Bobby was jealous of the mobsters, so he started doing a bunch of coke and then had sex with two women who worked at Patty's strip club, Terry and Roxanne. Roxanne, we only meet as a corpse. Terry randomly appears in the movie. Uh, they talk about her nipples, and then uh, she has a lot of scenes. Apparently, uh, that woman was like a genius level something or other. I was reading her. Oh, Wikipedia she was a Sharon Stone type? <laughs> yup. Um, uh, uh, but anyway, so Bobby was fucking Terry and Roxanne. I guess Roxanne was the girlfriend of Richie. Not the other girlfriend, but this girlfriend. And then, what did we say? Lori, Bobby's wife, found out about this and then found a Polaroid and decided the best way to get her husband to stop cheating on her would be to mail the Polaroid of him fucking a mobster's girlfriend to the mobster. Shockingly, this goes poorly. Richie murders the girlfriend, then murders Bobby, then goes on a rampage across Brooklyn for no reason. Which that's the plot of the movie. Yeah, I I feel like certain things in your description could be sort of uh, <laughs> derived from the movie we saw in isolation, but not together. And this is not to discount your storytelling skills. I feel like you are probably a more gifted one than whoever wrote this movie. Oh, hey, hey, you know. If I could have written uh, Out for Justice, I would have written Out for Justice. So Wow. And I haven't. So, you know, like Aaron Sorkin, <laughs> like that quote for from Aaron Sorkin's The Out for Justice. Yeah. Um, uh, hey, drop the the. It's <laughs> Out for Justice. It's cooler. Three words. Three words. <laughs> the golf movies have three words. Um, uh, yeah, I, I think that, that's what happens. But then, yeah, so then we have the real, then we go to our House of Horrors, and then we have uh, uh, Seagal shoots, of course, Seagal gets hit, shot once, the only time he gets hit in the entire movie, it's a, su a sucker shot, of course. And then also, like, it barely grazes him in one scene, <laughs> then we see him bleed, but, like, it doesn't really impact his performance in any way, I'm not entirely convinced he even noticed it happened. <laughs> no, he, like, stumbles for a second. Then somehow, so he has is holding like five guys at gunpoint. One guy jumps out with a gun and shoots him. He's, he is shot in the side with a bullet. It affects him so little that he is able to quickly shoot all five guys before anyone else gets another shot off, even though he's just been shot. Also, and then, he is, yeah. this is the scene that he's using a shotgun, right? So he, <laughs> not only he shoots everyone, he blows them away. They, these men just like fly back into the wall. It is, It yeah. is truly beautiful. And then it leads to, now, I agree with you. William Forsythe is 100% the best part of the, this movie. One might say the only good part of this movie. <laughs> he plays Richie. He is just, he knows his whole character is to be the most despicable human on earth. And he is just doing it. He's hamming it up. He's having the He's time of his life. Up. 
One thing I will say, I've said a lot of bad things about Steven Seagal. I've said a lot of good things about William Forsythe. I'll flip it for a bit. Whoa. Steven Seagal looks like he can fight. William Forsythe does not look like he can fight. <laughs> so one would argue, maybe having the climax of your movie be the guy who can fight the most, physically fighting the guy who can fight the least, does not make for a truly thrilling climax. Aw, but not if you're a Steven Seagal fan who wants him to be the best at everything. <laughs> I guess that's just, yeah, this is the culmination of that kind of thing where we do not want to see him in any way fail. So let's just watch him beat the shit out of a band in nowhere near as good shape as he is for three straight minutes. Also, let's just a quick uh, reminder to our listeners in case we haven't lost them yet. Uh, Steven Seagal is supposed to be a cop. So, <laughs> so like, Steven Seagal technically is supposed to arrest all these people and take them to the police station. He's not well, supposed to straight up shoot everyone without warning. Veronica, you are forgetting a very important detail. They made it personal. Mm. Of course, we all know that, uh, you know, after the Mar- uh, Miranda rights, you know, it says, if it's all personal, none of this counts. <laughs> you have the right to remain silent. However, if you make it personal, I will hunt you to the end of the earth. Yes, it's it has to be said in a throaty cigarette, like, tinged throat throaty voice <laughs> and it's what when people talk about police form i think if any like that should go real fast of course of course uh so yeah uh go ahead sorry for the digression i don't i, I don't is there much else you have a lot of other things to say uh, uh about seagal outside of this movie i don't know if there's that much more to say about this movie like i said yeah i I had a good time for the first 40 minutes. This was this was a fun, shitty movie to watch. You could watch this with friends. You know what? I'm going to say this is a perfect bad movie to watch with friends. Because I feel like anytime you're watching a bad movie with friends, you're having some drinks, you're having some fun, about 45 minutes in, people are going to start to lose interest. Even the best bad movies. People want to start hanging out. Maybe they've gotten too drunk. Who knows? <laughs> At, in this movie, that's the exact right time to turn it off. Exactly. So I th- I'm going to say this is a really good bad movie to watch. Um yeah, I guess I will say it's definitely like competently made and at times entertaining. <laughs> I will it will not be the first movie I would recommend to, for people to watch, but if you've seen a ton of bad movies and you're thinking, okay, well, what else is out there? Well, Out for Justice is by definition out there <laughs> and is available. If your favorite type of like bad movie is uh uh the the room or um you know uh, final, oh my god, I've forgotten my favorite Neil Breen movie's title. Oh, Fatal um, Findings? Fatal Findings. <laughs> if if you love that type of bad movie, not in the quality of filmmaking, but in the clear window into the mania of an extreme egotist, then this movie is great. It has all the hallmarks. Um, every supporting character loves them. They could do no wrong. Uh, the female uh, female leads are at least 10 years younger, but the script <laughs> pretends they're the same age. All of those great elements are in this movie. 
but eventually becomes so ugly that you might want to turn it off. Yeah, I feel like unlike uh, those movies you mentioned, there's not... I don't know. There's something missing there uh, to me that would make it a true sort of bad, bad movie that you really want to enjoy and make fun of with friends. I feel like it. there's nothing... Uh, there isn't much about this movie that's really fun to make fun of aside of just like Seagal's insecurities, I suppose. Do you maybe empathize with uh, Tommy Wiseau and Neil Breen more because Seagal was so famous at this point? I mean, both of those men were very wealthy for whatever reasons, um, uh, enough so to make their their uh, ego ego trip projects. That's true. I think the bad movies I like the most are failures of hubris as opposed to failures mm. of competence. Uh, and I, I feel like here in Out for Justice, I feel like there's not, like there's no failure like it's not like steven seagal is reaching for something <laughs> that he's not getting it's just he's a very insecure man who needs to win at everything and as as a result he made a very i don't know just a, a very a violent and cruel movie even though it's not <laughs> very grotesque it's not very gruesome but there's something about the mentality of this movie that's very unpleasant to me. And so I don't know that there's much enjoyment that at least like what I watch bad movies for uh, that I could find in this movie, I guess. I mean, yeah, to, to compare the violence of this movie, to compare again to like a slasher movie where someone might like find the first few kills enjoyable, but then find it deadening if they're not into gore. To me, that's how I felt about the compliments in this movie. Right. <laughs> For the first half hour, as every character just showered Dino, Gino with compliments, I found it very funny, but eventually I it just made me feel very sad. Yeah, and also none of the like quippy one-liners work. It all just comes off as mean-spirited and, yeah, just humorless. So... He he is not, you, you compared him to the other greats of the period. He does not, I, at least I've only seen this one movie, but he certainly does not have the charisma of a Schwarzenegger, a Stallone, a Bruce Willis, and he definitely can't do a split like Jean-Claude Van Damme. So dude, what's the point? Yeah, I don't know how this guy became, I mean, even for a brief period of time, popular <laughs> well i don't know much about him in general so i think it might be time for our new segment veronica reads some unflattering details about <laughs> steven seagal's life oh first we got to give our grades yes let's do that all right um yeah okay all right three two one D. c minus <laughs> all right yeah okay I, it, I, it was boosted by the camp factor for the first half hour for me. That's fair. I gave it a star yeah. and a half on Letterboxd. I gave it two stars on Letterboxd. Nice. Well, follow us on Letterboxd. I'm Judge <laughs> Judy for no reason whatsoever. Are you really? I am. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just my name because I'm boring. <laughs> I, 
I, I, <laughs> should I change? Should I change my handle to like the People's Court or something? Um, I mean, if it's available, Judge Judy was available, <laughs> which I was very delighted by. Judge Judy Scheinlin, is that her name? She's not uh, She's not big on Letterboxd? She's not getting on there between cases? Well, I mean, my name is still, you would, like, go to Judge Judy and you still say, see Veronica, but I don't oh, I'm not, I, I'm not saying that you're catfishing people with your <laughs> Judge Judy uh, movie reviews. But yeah, I guess maybe she's too busy making, you know, small courts claims, <laughs> resolving I- small courts claims. Maybe lean into it, Veronica. Maybe start all your reviews with like, I'm sorry, Out for Justice. When you come into my streaming service, <laughs> yes. you better respect me. Exactly. A, I, I have not watched a lot of Judge Judy. Apparently one of the highest paid uh, TV stars of uh, all time. the past 10 years. All time, is that true? I think she's like a billionaire or something from... Uh, <laughs> she's a great lady. I used to watch her every day after school, uh, so... I have very fond memories. I've, I think she recently decided to stop. I, I think, you know, I don't know that all the episodes have aired, but I think she decided that to gavel gavel her last case. So wow. time marches on. Time marches yeah. on. I hope like Jeopardy, they're going to get a new host, but I hope they keep calling it Judge Judy. And I hope like Jeopardy, it would be Dr. Oz. <laughs> I, I think whoever whoever gets second place for the uh, Jeopardy guest hosting should then take over Judge Judy. I think it should be Aaron Rodgers. Oh, wow. Aaron Rodgers yeah. seems like a swell dude. Anyway. Be a great TV judge. All right. Okay. Okay. So, okay. Let's start with you know with the. <laughs> uh, oh wait, we got we got to do our theme song for this segment. Okay. The the the, the segment that we always do. Veronica shares unflattering details details about Stephen Seagal's life. It's Veronica shares unflattering details from Stephen Seagal's life, <laughs> and some crimes. <laughs> <laughs> That theme song gets better every week. I know. I mean, yes. I I would hope that we do the segment again. I will do more research. Um, All right. What have you got for us this time? Okay. I will preface this by saying that uh, most of the stuff that I got while I will be reading from Wikipedia is actually from the podcast Behind the Bastards, which is a delightful podcast about terrible people. They did an episode on him? So they did a two-part episode about Steven Seagal. I'm going to (laughs) stop recording our episode and go listen to that. (laughs) Uh, It's it's an all-time great episode of Behind the Bastards. So if you want to know way more about Steven Seagal for probably like three hours of your life, please listen to that. It's a great podcast. Um, so I guess we'll start, you know, like Arrested Development with the, you know, the mild crimes and move to the light treasons. Uh, but so uh, this movie, as we know, premiered on April 12th, uh, uh, 1991. A week or so later, Steven Seagal hosts SNL. <laughs> For the it was for this movie yeah, for the one and only time before he was labeled by Lauren Michaels and basically everyone on the cast as the worst host that ever lived. Uh, we actually, my boyfriend and I watched the episode right before recording this. And no, how was it? So first off, the episode itself, as it's available on Peacock is watered down to about 37 minutes. Uh, now, that is, that is not the length of an average episode of Saturday Night Live, no. am I correct? Yeah, so 
with the musical guest, it would be over an hour, mostly. Uh, from reading about the episode, at least two Seagulls. So you immediately go after the opening credits into a pre a pre-recorded ad sketch so they both cut off the cold open where apparently steven seagal insisted on making fun of arnold schwarzenegger so it's like a sketch with hans and franz where he's like making fun of arnold then there's a cold open uh in which i didn't see but i read about and apparently he at first like does a monologue that no one laughs at at about how men are not men anymore and then someone hands him an acoustic guitar and he plays everybody was kung fu fighting (laughs) so that's the the hosting bit this sounds very good (laughs) i don't know what people are talking about and then i will just say that there's about 10 or 15 minutes where you don't see steven seagal and so my boyfriend described it as sort of like waiting for the villain to come out in like a (laughs) horror movie so it's he's the macavity of uh, exactly so there's like no the first two sketches don't have seagal at all in them maybe even the first three and then there's a painfully unfunny sketch where he i think plays a guy that chris farley wants to date his daughter but it's so unfunny like really everyone is trying their best like jan hooks is out there like trying to like do character work but he's like such a sinkhole of energy that every line that he does just falls so flat and so the audience is just quiet isn't he just from from that premise, it sounds like he's just supposed to be intimidated. Yeah, so he's, like, supposed to intimidate Chris Farley, but none of it works. Like, none of it is funny. None of the lines that he says are funny. So the audience is very confused about how to react. And so there's a ton of silence <laughs> and just a lot of awkward laughing whenever, like, Jan Hooks does, like, a weird, like, character bit where she, like, jumps or, like, makes a face. Uh, so there's that sketch. Then there's, like, a ton of sketches, again, that he's not in. And and then there's a sketch where he plays Andrew Dice Clay in a sketch with Chris Rock. I guess that was like their 10 to 1 sketch. And which is the last sketch of the night where people like try new stuff usually. Uh, and so, <laughs> uh, yeah, he just does Andrew Dice Clay and it's very weird. But like, oh, so, yeah, it's like Andrew Dice Clay, but he's supposed to be Elvis. And none of it is funny. He's also playing a guy... Did Ford Farlane just come out or wasn't... I don't know. So this is a year, I believe, after Andrew Dice Clay got banned from SNL. He's like another guy who got banned from SNL. So (laughs) I I truly don't know. Apparently he was a a pain to work with uh, from what the cast members are saying. All of the sketches that he proposed were very mean-spirited and all kind of centered around the main conceit that we talked about. Uh, in about the movie, which is him being a very intimidating bad guy and everyone else is a loser. And so none of the... I am shocked <laughs> to hear that his sense of humor is mean-spirited. Shocked. And so, yeah, so basically, so that's kind of the best 
like the most whimsical perhaps thing that I'm going to say about Steven Seagal. All right. So, so you've brought us up. You've brought us up. Now, <laughs> now tear it down. What have we got? Okay. So Steven Seagal was apparently like a shy asthmatic kid, but he said that he was an Aikido champion from the day that he was born. His mother gave an interview uh, <laughs> to People magazine and says that he was a puny kid. <laughs> Uh, and yeah, who suffered from asthma. He claimed to be, uh, a, to, uh, be the first person, the first American person to, uh, to, I guess, be trained by this Japanese Aikido guy. <laughs> and that guy died long before he ever made it to Japan. <laughs> he, he then married, uh, he met this uh, Japanese woman and he ended up going to Japan. He ended up marrying this woman and running a dojo there, like working at a dojo there. Is it before, before Hollywood came out? Yes, so this is in the 70s. Uh, so he goes to Japan, claims to start a dojo, uh, even though he was just working at this woman's family dojo. They have a bunch of kids. They move. He then goes back to the United States. He ends up marrying this other woman, even though he is still married to this Japanese woman. So he's illegally married to this other woman. Wait, uh, so Steven Seagal is a polygamist? Uh, yeah, sort of. I mean, that would be. Uh, there would be other stuff that will come up. That are... I mean, legal legal definition. Yes. Yes. Exactly. So he is a polygamist. He then ends up dumping both of them when he meets Kelly LeBrock, who he ends up marrying. Uh, uh, Kelly LeBrock, beautiful woman. I would dump two wives for her. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. So he literally does that. Then there are actual a bunch of rumors that Steven Seagal's whole career is actually bankrolled by the mob. Uh, there's <laughs> there's a rumor that Michael Ovitz, who uh, was trained by Seagal when he was still a martial arts trainer, uh, was actually bribed by the mob to uh, make <laughs> Above the Law, which is the first movie that he made. Like, uh, <laughs> Ovitz gave him, or uh, Warner Brothers gave him a screen test that apparently went awful. But Ovitz really, really insisted that he be cast in this movie. And uh, the claim is that it was bank uh, it was uh, bankrolled by the mob, a claim that is supported later on by the fact that he was actually <laughs> uh, there was an assassination attempt, I think, on Steven Seagal by the Gambino family. <laughs> when uh, when I guess they had a contract dispute, but that happened later. Uh, so in in the annals of Hollywood history, mob money has given us both uh, uh, the movie Deep Throat and the career of Steven Seagal. Yes, all good things. <laughs> I say thank you, Il Casa Nostra. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Casa Nostra and the Gambino family. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so let let's skip to the allegations and lawsuits, which is a, a full section. <laughs> Wait, why? Why did, why would he, so he lied about being a, a weak kid. Why not embrace that? Why not use that as part of, like, that's the thing. Why not use that as part of your, like, self-mythologizing that, oh, I used to be weak, but now I'm tough. It's the same thing, like, 
you're making an action movie about you beating up a lot of guys showing yourself get hurt makes your character look stronger because they're persevering through it well i agree with you entirely but i think like his whole insecurity like stems from this and i feel like he would never want to do that (laughs) asthma plus mob money equals steven seagal i mean kind of like and i guess like weird fetishizing of aikido which is like (laughs) why would you because he there are a bunch of lies where he claims what, what about his sort of aikido prowess in his life he like claims to be oh there is a very funny thing about how apparently he got his black belt because a judge just like got drowsy and wasn't paying attention to his like performance <laughs> so but there was weirdly around this time like i, I like a big thing about making up your like martial arts uh, uh bona fides like the movie Bloodsport starring Jean-Claude Van Damme is based on a true story about this guy who also was the first America allowed. Like his story was that he was the first American allowed in this top secret martial arts tournament and he won and all this stuff. And he was also like, I don't know, a Navy SEAL or something. And then all of those stories are completely made up. Well, this is actually something from the Out for Justice uh, set, is the fact that he apparently claimed that his Aikido training made him immune to being choked unconscious. And so the stunt coordinator uh, for that movie was like, hey, let's, let's let's see if that is true, and proposed to choke him out and see if it happens. And so he put his hand around Seagal, and when he said go, he choked him. And of course, Steven Seagal is not immune to being choked. And so he uh, he basically evacuated his bowels, is the wording that Wikipedia uses, and uh, was <laughs> knocked unconscious. Uh, so that's an insane story to tell. Like, it, this was all an, you, entirely under Seagal's control. He could not have said this. He could also not have agreed to do this. <laughs> it is just such a wild story. Also, immune to choking is such a stupid thing to say. I know. Uh, first off, obviously not. <laughs> Secondly, like, that doesn't even sound cool. It sounds like the world's worst superhero. Right. Just, like, immune to choking? It's easily disproven. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, do you think I I read that on the Wikipedia too? Do you think that story is the inspiration for the scene in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? What what scene? The scene with Bruce Lee. Oh, I doubt it. But that would be very funny if it was. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's go to the sexual assaults, and oh, the, good. there are a great ton of them. So uh, it's always a good sign that that's a whole section t- uh, headlock. So uh, during uh, during Out for Justice alone, there were three employees who accused him of this. Uh, of uh, people who worked on this film, of this film that we have seen, three women oh, have accused him of sexual assault and were uh, settled out of court. Uh, there's also were they? Does it say like were they actresses? 
Christine I'm, Keeve. I'm, I'm going to guess extras in any of the nightclub scenes, probably. Well, so here's the thing. What he was famous for, and famous is in huge quotes, is uh, his uh, casting sessions. So what he would do, oh and Jenny McCarthy actually spoke about it because he, she was part of those in for Under Siege 2, which I don't believe ended up happening but what happens is that he would uh invite you to a casting session and uh and then proceed to uh ask you to strip naked and perhaps then also like start kissing you in order to like rehearse sexual chemistry and unzipping your pants and uh that also happened to Portia de Rossi she also spoke about that Jenny McCarthy has mentioned that there was a bodyguard in the room who would block the door so she not only like she kept saying no and I think with her it didn't go that far but uh she she could not leave until like Seagal actually gave like the go ahead to his bodyguard to open the door. Um so Yeah, you, you weren't kidding when you said the SNL part would be a little more lighthearted than the rest. Yes. Uh so I so there are a bunch of more like sexual harassment accusations. Then in 2010, there's actually um a lawsuit against him for uh, sex trafficking. Uh, and <laughs> so. How did I not hear this? Wasn't this like the time when he, the one weird thing I know about him, that he was pretending to be a sheriff on a reality TV show? So, a fun fact about the time that that happened is that he was actually sued by one of the guys whose home got raided by <laughs> Sheriff Seagal. <laughs> Uh, because they killed his puppy. They used a fucking tank to raid this guy's home and ended up killing his dog. <laughs> that must have been horrible for animal rights activist Steven exactly. Uh So, yeah. So, Wait, what, what year is that? Because wasn't so that right is, around uh, in 2010? So, yeah. So, in 2010. Uh, so, yeah. So, the 2011 lawsuit by Jesus Sanchez Javera was about the Steven Seagal A&E show, which is very funny because originally it was in Louisiana, but maybe Louisiana got wind of him being so shitty because the lawsuit is in Maricopa County, which we all know is in Arizona from all those uh, election coverage uh, stuff. Is that Joe Arpaio's county? It is indeed. Uh, cool. So, yeah. Good stuff. Good, Just good dudes working together. But yeah, it's like very fucked up. They killed this puppy. Also, like Steven Seagal and his never ending series of false claims claimed that he was an ordained sheriff, but apparently, or that he like has taken like the Los Angeles Police Department's officers test. Uh, there's no record of him ever doing that. So his title as sheriff or whatever he was on that show is ceremonial only. So, like, why is that guy even operating any sort of anything, like, orchestrating wish, any raids? It's so fucked up. I wish you could be an ordained sheriff the same way that, that like, I'm an ordained minister. Yeah. Like, he's like, oh, yeah, my two two good friends of mine asked me to officiate their arrest, so I went online, and I became an ordained sheriff. It's pretty easy. It was a beautiful day. 
I mean, uh, let me let me try to find this so that I'm saying this correctly. But he apparently also bribed some Buddhist people in order for them to claim that he was a reincarnation of some other like a Tibetan Buddhist figure. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, so uh, apparently. So this monastery announced that he was a tulku, which is, uh, and more specifically, the reincarnation of Chundrag Dorje, a 17th century Turin, which is a treasure traveler of the Nyingma, the oldest sect of Tibetan Buddhism. And apparently people were like, this is very fucked up. Like, how did that happen? And apparently it was because he like donated a ton of money <laughs> so that he would be recognized as a, a reincarnation of this guy. Uh, and, <laughs> and they were like, also like, how would you even like say that like, this man who's like super makes super violent movies is any kind of like Buddhist person, uh, or like any sort of like Buddhist religious figure. And so the guy who I guess recognized him said that like, although acting in violent movies, he had not actually killed any people and he was merely recognized as the reincarnation, but he's not been enthroned, whatever that means. Anyway, like Steven Seagal has bogus creds all around, all the time. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I really, like, I watched the movie yesterday. Two days ago, I had so little of an impression, an opinion on Steven Seagal. And now I, I have a, a very distinct opinion of him. I mean, he is a terrible human being. Uh, we have not even talked about, uh, okay, so there's, this is, this is good. Cause yesterday I read headlines that, uh, 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 Sylvester Stallone recently became a member, a paid member of Mar-a-Lago. Oh God. And I was like, ugh, gross. Oh man. Uh, that makes Sylvester Stallone sucks. But now <laughs> I'm like, who cares? That's fine. Sure. <laughs> Although I'm sure I have not read uh, Sylvester Stallone's Wikipedia, so who knows? Right. And I guess the last thing I would mention, and it's kind of dumb. So, uh, yeah, so he was extorted by the mob. We already kind of covered that. Uh, he, he was apparently sued by the the Securities and Exchange Commission for, like, this botched initial coin offering. <laughs> So he was part of like some ICO uh, that was clearly very corrupt that he was paid uh, uh, he, that he was paid to promote. Uh, he also claims to be uh, a close. He he doesn't even say that he's friends with Vladimir Putin. He says that he is uh, a, like a brother to him. <laughs> Meanwhile, the spokesperson for Russia or whatever, the government spokesperson was like, he was asking quite insistently and over a lengthy period to be granted citizenship. <laughs> uh, and um, 
but actually, and but actually, I wouldn't necessarily say Putin is a huge fan, but he's definitely seen some movies. So on the one hand, Seagal is like, yeah, me and Putin are like brothers, and meanwhile, Stephen Putin, uh, Stephen Putin, <laughs> meanwhile, Vladimir Putin is like, ah, uh, I don't know her. <laughs> well, that's that's very much Putin style. Putin is always a, a little ambivalent about who he's chums with. I suppose so. Uh. uh and- I, I imagine, I imagine, uh, he, I, I, I would say that he probably has a similar, uh, um, opinion of the intellect of, uh, Steven Seagal that he did about our former president, another friend of his. Yeah, I feel like he probably thinks of them as useful idiots, perhaps. And, uh, I mean, growing up, a few years that I remember growing up in Russia, I do remember Steven Seagal being super popular there. So I suppose that tracks. Do you think they're over there and they're like, you know what, with America the way it is, this guy could be president in 10 years, so we better be chums with him? Perhaps. I mean, he already has Russian citizenship and Serbian citizenship. He's a man of the world, is what I'm getting. Yes. uh, He's a sophisticated, well-liked man of the world. Everyone loves him everywhere he goes. He's the best person there. And they want to replace every other person (laughs) in that country with Steven Seagal. All right. Uh, (laughs) Do do you have anything else? Uh, Oh, one last thing I would like to mention is that he apparently was uh, a trainer of some sort on Never Say Never Again. And he uh, broke Sean Connery's wrist. (laughs) He broke Sean Connery's wrist? Yes. I mean, Sir Sean Connery's wrist. I know that that is the grievous of offenses that you've heard in the past 10 minutes. Well, I, I don't, you know, hearing about like, you know, sexual assault is pretty bad, but breaking the wrist of a man who's perpetrated, another man who's perpetrated sexual assault at the very least fictionally. Um, I mean, he uh, admitted to beating up his wife, Sean Connery, so. Okay, good. I, I, I wasn't sure how much, uh, whether I was t- tiptoeing into uh, slander there. Um, I hedged my bets a little bit. I had a hazy memory that he had committed um, uh, domestic violence. Okay, fun. Good. <laughs> fun stuff. Um, speaking of which, I don't think we need to do our segment, ooh, uh, <laughs> that would fly today, because both all of it and none of it. Yeah. Um, Seagal, these movies are still getting made. Seagal's still making movies that are identical to this, except in how much he physically moves when he's on camera. Yes, so uh, a, a fun... Because those audiences still exist. So the one of the funniest bits of Contract to Kill, and please watch that movie because it's cuckoo bananas, is the fact <laughs> that he's supposed to run through a tunnel at one scene, and instead there's clearly a green screen behind him, and he is just moving his arms. So he just like <laughs> refuses to run. Uh, the reason why I that made me watch that movie is the fact that the review uh, says that he gives the kind of performance usually is given by actors who died during filming. <laughs> and it's both the the most beautiful thing I've ever read, and also the most accurate as it pertains to this movie. <laughs> so. Yeah, both none of this movie would fly today and all of it does fly today, just not with the same sized audience. For sure. 
I remember we used to on the show do um why a uh, segment where we tried to guess why we thought this movie was number one at the time. Um, uh, do you have any strong opinions about the? Uh... uh, I mean, I guess it's coming off the big sort of action hero period mm-hmm. of the eighties, and so you know they. Sh- we're scraping the barrel and that's what they found. <laughs> yeah, it feels like all of those guys were either fading away or progressing and evolving. Right. I mean, 1991, Schwarzenegger is releasing T2 a few months later. And Kindergarten Cop. And <laughs> Kindergarten Cop. I Well, no wonder he wanted to make fun of uh, Schwarzenegger on SNL. The, those... Their time as equals was coming to a rapid end. Right. Yes, for sure. And yeah, so I think there was still probably a thirst there for that kind of an action hero. And I'm sure these movies were not that expensive to make. So why not? And there still is today. Like like, like we said at the beginning, this feels so much like Hobbs and Shaw and like the, a lot of the Fast and Furious stuff. The, the egotism of the stars, the fact that they can, like, that, uh, like, The Rock can never be injured in a scene, all the stuff about The Rock being a good dad and everyone loving him. Yeah. Like, I think from what we've heard and everything I've heard, Dwayne Johnson is a much nicer guy that people genuinely, that maybe people like Vin Diesel don't love, but uh, <laughs> uh, most people genuinely seem to enjoy working with. Right. But at, they do seem to be cut from a similar extreme egotist, egotist plot. For sure. I think it's just a matter of presentation. I think mm-hmm. with Hobbs and Shaw, I don't recall who, which one of us enjoyed that movie more, but I feel like there was... Probably not me. I didn't really have fun. Yeah, I, I, I enjoy... I love the Fast and Furious movies. Hobbs and Shaw might not have been my favorite of that ilk, but there's still more self-awareness and humor in these movies, especially from, like, Statham's side, to me. Yeah, but, but I think they've learned they need it, but they're still doing stuff like, remember, that movie was the movie where an actress that is clearly The Rock's age is playing his mother. Oh, for sure. I mean, these movies are not immune of any of that stuff, I think, but it's, I think it's just the quality of actor that we have playing the Seagal role is not Steven Seagal. <laughs> also, also a man who's very much considering political, uh, oh, God. Oh. a political race. Let's... And then of course, Schwarzenegger was the governor. Like, yeah. A- 80s America, you fed these assholes so much and look what's happened. Yeah, very uh, true. I blame 80s the Rock, America. Uh, not 80s America. Well, um, you know, I, I blame 80s America for Seagal. Alive. He was live during it. Um, okay. Uh, yeah. John, do, Boy, do you have any, this... any movies that you've seen that you did enjoy? Oh, my God. Uh, uh, you go first. All right. While you look. I have to remember. I, I will uh, mention that I rewatched The Rock. <laughs> also starring William Forsyth, actually. Well, not starring, oh. but I found it to be an absolute delight. Uh, it's a super fun action movie. 
Uh, it's a classic Michael Bay shindig. I feel like everyone in that movie is doing their utmost self <laughs> work in it. That's the way I would describe it. It's like Nicolas Cage is the most Nicolas Cagey in that movie. Uh, Sean Connery is the Sean Conneryist with all of his one-liners <laughs> and Scottish accents. Uh, How is his wrist? Uh, oh, it, it's healed, but you can oh, tell. You can tell that it's been oh, through no. stuff. But oh. the action is bombastic and crazy, uh, but well-directed and very fun. Ed Harris is a great villain in it, sort of conflicted. Uh, the, yeah, it. I mean, it does it make a ton of sense? No. Is it 100% entertaining? Yes. So would recommend The Rock. I also saw... Best Animated Feature Nominee, The Wolfwalkers, straight out of Ireland. Is that an Irish accent? Who knows? Uh, and It was noises. I thought it was very beautiful to look at. The animation of that movie is spectacular. Uh, I, I think the story is pretty straightforward. Uh, it's a kid's movie, but the animation really takes it... Uh, you know, above and beyond, and it's definitely recommended. It's on Apple TV for free because everyone has purchased an Apple product in the past two decades that apparently makes them eligible for a free, unlimited <laughs> subscription to Apple TV Plus. So when you're done watching Ted Lasso, I am on. in the process of watching Ted Lasso. <laughs> I uh, I think my my free I did a free trial month, so I think I I didn't signed up for that stuff I, when i bought my last apple products um the only things on apple tv was that uh the morning show and that was it Ugh. and i was like even with this free membership not interesting yeah your time is not free <laughs> 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 which is why once again i i i have not seen uh i have not seen another movie i spent i i had the week off from work last week and i spent the entire week trying to finish a script and Ooh. i did not finish it oh no no i didn't get it done all right well uh, out for justice so is gonna have to wait another year probably won't see another movie aside from next week's episode next week either veronica i was so bummed i really thought next week was going to be mortal Kombat. it is not but uh no, it's the week after next week, the 23rd. Whoa. Oh, no. Then I'm willfully or illfully unprepared. <laughs> yeah, I don't think um, I don't think there was. Uh, um, yeah, we OK, we don't know what it's going to be next week. I don't think there's it didn't look like there's an, a big movie coming out that would make sense for us to do a new one. Mortal Kombat so we'll is on the 23rd, according to Box Office Mojo. Yeah, but that's two weekends from now. Is it? Oh my god. Today's what is time? Yeah. <laughs> oh wow. It was just March. Stop speeding us along. I, I wanna I wanna get my second shot. I want That's true. I want everything to be normal again. Yeah. Alright. Well, I guess on that note. <laughs> we'll we'll be watching something next week. And I'm sure it'll be great. I'm sure it will be better than Out for Justice. <laughs>